Good morning. I'm Dotsie Lyles, and I approve this message. (laughs) But I don't want you to mute me. That's what my husband does during this time. Even Sharon muted me this morning earlier. (laughs) But we know really and truly um, that we want this message approved by God. So let's pray. Father God, I do come before you thanking you for the privilege of uh, learning from your word, Lord, and may the words that come from my mouth have clarity because of who you are. And may the hearts of the women here just be um, receptive to just the special words you have for each of them. Only you can do this, Lord, and we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, First, before we get to the heart of today's message, which is anchored in spirit-filled living from 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11, I wanted you to know that, um, well, not really to know that I had shingles several weeks ago, but I wasn't here to hear Mary Ewing teaching, and yet I was encouraged because she said that she was glad to have company with John Stott, who said that sometimes Peter's writing goes a little in circles. But you know, I'm real comfortable with that. I talk in circles. I walk around in circles at home. You can just ask my husband. I'm always looking for things. My daughter says I even text in circles. So my goal today is to straighten out both my words and Peter's message for the sake of clarity. And by the way, I gave, and thanks to Bethany for helping me out, I gave the PowerPoint to Cricket on October the 10th. And, of course, um, what happened was that yesterday I ate almost a half a gallon of Amaretta Cherry Cordial ice cream, trying to recall all the notes and make them fit with the PowerPoint. So, um, anyway, let's look at... uh, you can open your Bibles to First Peter 4, and I'm going to give a quick overview from verses 1 through 6, which shows Christian behavior in verses 1 and 2, with a reminder to focus on Christ-like thinking and to live for the will of God, not human passions, which is the focus on the pagan responses in verses 3 through 5. To me, it's... Um, I don't... We have... Um, new little baby Jack, and so we're starting all over again, you know, with the more and the all done so that we can talk, and so in the first part of this passage, we need to say no more, all done with sinning, no more, and we need to, as we go down in the passage, to know godly traits, more, more. And we need more Jesus for those godly traits to manifest themselves within us. Um, It says, uh, Peter's readers had obviously spent much time living for self, and that's all done. And no longer should we live in our past sins. And he gives this long list of a lusty list, I thought of, sensualities, lewdness, lust, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. But verse 6 reminds us, all will give account to God, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And that, my friends, is why we need 
to give and live out the gospel message. And so there becomes a transition as we go from the past to the present. But I wanted to share with you an elephant tail. And, you know, probably a lot of you have seen this that I assume is up there on the slide. Um, a baby elephant is chained to a stake when he's young. And he kicks and he kicks, and no matter how hard he tries, he can't get loose. He can't be free. And eventually he grows, you know, to a two-ton animal or however big elephants are. And do you know that same small stake still holds him? He could lift that foot and jerk it away, but he doesn't because his memory holds him. And that's one thing we need to do is to let go not only of our past sins, all done, but we need to um, not be chained back with regrets of where we've been and the sins that have been in our lives. It makes us real. Sometimes it gives us compassion for others. But to enjoy spirit-filled living regardless of how others view it, we need to let go of some of those past regrets. And it talked about in verse 4 that as we do change from all done to more of him, we need to um, realize, as Cricket even discussed last week, friends in our sphere might think we're a little strange or that our thinking is surprising to them, but for a believer, it's life-giving. We need to accept God's forgiveness. It's time to let it go and move forward anchored in spirit-filled living. Verse 2 states it very clearly, live for the will of God. When we do this, when we live for God's will, our lives are a testimony that the Lord Jesus is above all else for us. Now, one of the things that I want to um, discuss before I go on is anchored truths, truths that are needed in our lives. And by doing that, I want to share some anchor illustrations that spoke to me as I refocused on this lesson yesterday. So this is new. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so the slide up here shows an anchor that I encountered on a trip to the Northeast this summer. It's big. It's massive. And when I would stand beside it, it was taller than I was. And as I was thinking about it yesterday, I began to think of all the things that an anchor is. Reliable, a good support. It's the way to be secured firmly. It's made of material that lasts. Obviously, it's rusted some, but it's lasted probably a long time. And its purpose is to hold an object in place. And it has a fluke that digs into the bottom of the sea where it needs to be held. If you will look at it, even though it was secure, firmly fixed years ago, as they brought it up, I was able to see the shape of this, this anchor. It's, 
it protects us from drifting. Sometimes from drifting from the wind, you know, those winds of adversity that can come in. Sometimes they can be a destructive force, and a bad influence. Or maybe the drifting is due to the current circumstances in our lives. Undercurrents that might not be seen by others, but they're there. So we need to give weight to the anchors that we choose. We need to realize that even though they might be temporary or permanent, our anchor, Jesus Christ, keeps us moored. He keeps us from drifting. He holds us, fir- uh, he holds us permanent and firmly. Acts 27, verses 9, 29, 30, and 40 gave me um, insight because it appeared that the Romans' olden vessels carried several anchors which were attached to the stern, the back of the boat. See, I learned about anchors. As well as to the prow. Is that how you say it? The boat, the front? But like the modern one, it had two teeth or flukes. And traditionally, I love this, the U.S. Navy um, sailors oftentimes will get a tattoo after crossing the Atlantic Ocean, a tattoo of an anchor, because to them it signifies stability and strong foundation. The anchor is also a symbol of hope. And I want you to really look at this one, a symbol of steadfastness. It appears to be balanced and resting. But if you'll look at it, you'll see the cross. Do you see the cross? I saw the cross. And I, I love that because the cross lines of the horizontal and the vertical represent the spirit and the matter. And that's the way it is with us. We have our flesh and we have our spirit. In Scripture, the term anchor is used metaphorically to represent God and faith, that which keeps us steadfast and gives us hope during the trials and storms of life, which I think Heather said Cricket's going to be addressing next uh, semester. And that's our theme this time from Hebrews 6.19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, It tells us that Jesus is our hope, and he is the anchor for our souls. So, even with fears or any other things that come along, if we put our trust in God, he's going to be the anchor that holds. But also, I learned that when you're going to change places, which probably we did on that houseboat a long time ago, wherever Heather went, um, you pull up the anchor, because you're entering a new season. And all of you out here are in different seasons, so your anchors might be a little different, but we know the main anchor is Christ. We just might all need the little back row anchor or back back boat <laughs> anchor a little more than others. And in chapter 7, this is sort of a transition verse, I thought. It segues into the urgent part of Peter's message. And it says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. It sounds like anchors of prayer are needed here, especially in every new season. But do you hear the sense of urgency 
for those who desire to pursue kingdom living while here on earth. For in the last days, it says, and some of us in here, unless the Lord comes first, are closer to our last days than others, but we should all live with that attitude of serious prayer and watchfulness. I'd written out for you ladies as I was praying this week, Lord, may we, each heart-to-heart lady, carefully approach your word and take it seriously, being watchful and ever ready for your return. Show us how to do this, Lord, as we bow before you each week. May we sense the need of urgency to love you supremely and serve others sacrificially as you lead us. And so as I ponder this readiness for kingdom living in our time, here's the thoughts that God gave me. We need to stay anchored in him above all else. Above all else. More so than anything else, mainly, primarily, predominantly, chiefly, essentially. You might can come up with some other adverbs. But to me, supremely is what stood out. It says it best. I need to love the Lord supremely. That ensures I'm loving him above all else. Remember in verse 2, it said, As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather live for the will of God. When you love God above all else, when you love God supremely, you're living for the will of God, and that brings him glory. For you, in Psalm 97, 9, it says, For you are the Lord Most High over all the earth. You are exalted far above all God, all gods. He is great. He is above all gods. You need some more prepositions? He is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, as it says in Ephesians 4, 6. Above all else, live for the will of God is how Peter states it in that verse. And to me, that encapsulates the, um, the, this entire section. Peter states it at the beginning, but you need to stay with him and me, as he will bring it back around as he restates it in a different way in the last verse, verse 11. The next anchor, I said, remain anchored in fervent love for one another. That's in verse 8. We've left that transition in verse 7, and we go to verse 8. Anchored in love for others, above all gods, he and he alone can give us that fervent love for one another that Peter says. It's about others. Fervent love for our Lord can overflow so that we are able to fervently love one another. A mutual love for end times living. Fervent love is not used in the Old Testament, but in, New, in the New Testament, meaning intent, earnest, and in an outstretched manner. Sometimes Christian love 
doesn't manifest this fervency. But Christ's love does always. He stretched out to the uttermost to reach all. And I see that as sacrificial. So we love God supremely. And we love and serve others sacrificially, especially in the household of faith. In the middle of your table, I put some one-anothering sheets. It's a list of verses. Um, Examples of mutual love and end times will be found in all those verses from the Word of God. But I want to tell you this, and I, I heard actually right before I went for my very first cancer surgeries, um, Taylor spoke on one anothering. And it's something that has resonated with me ever since. And I learned that it's better to live it than to be able to define it. And God's word will show you how to live it. And then the next one is be anchored in a community of faith. Anchored in a community of faith. See, this is what one anothering is. It's within the body of Christ. Peter asked us all to be hospitable to one another. Whether that is our area of giftedness or not. And the caveat that shows it must be done in his strength. See, I didn't read you the whole verse, did it? Did I? It needs to be done, he didn't say in love, but if you're doing it in love, you're doing it without grumbling. Don't you think? I know years ago, I shouldn't even confess this, (laughs) my husband said, you know, complaint is really not a spiritual gift. Oops. (laughs) But offering and showing hospitality without complaining is one way to demonstrate love for the brethren. It's that visual that others have for us. It's that way of saying to the next door neighbor, which I confess to the leaders group, oh, come on in. And I really want to say, don't look to the right, all that laundry stacked up in there in the laundry room. But you let go of that and you just sacrificially have to give up that pride to show love for one another. And in the next PowerPoint, it says, use God-given abilities. Not talents. Talents are what God has given us before we come to saving knowledge of him. And then we can use those talents as a part of our spiritual gift to use to minister to people in the body of Christ, to edify them, build them up, encourage them. And we're all called to hospitality. There are just some of us who seem to do it a lot better and with ease. And I can look out here and see several faces of people who have opened their homes in hospitality, and they're the ones that I am so... Um, encouraged by because although it looks perfect to me, no matter what it looks like, they offer it for others.
the key um, the key in this is each believer has received a gift from God to be used to build up the body of Christ, as I said. And I thought it was interesting. I think it was Kathy Thompson this morning that said, some of the friends that we are so drawn to, especially during these storms in life, are the ones who use their gift of mercy and um, comfort, helps. They reach out to us. And we know those people. They're exercising their spiritual gift and serving. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Each one of us, and I think this is key, should use whatever gift he or she has received from God to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in various forms. It could be whether you brought pimento cheese sandwiches today or you gave some, someone a ride here. I don't know your gifts. And maybe you talked in your group about if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, in your lesson, there's the, um, the link that you can get to take of the spiritual gifts. But we label these as spiritual gifts more than just God-given talents. It becomes a spiritual gift when it is yielded to the Holy Spirit, when it is used for God's glory and to serve others in the body of Christ. That's an anchor we all need. And the next anchor, aren't you glad I have so many anchors? Usually we just have one. And you know, Cricket will say, well, what was your big idea? What was your main anchor? Hopefully I'll be like Peter and wind it up at the end. Anchored by his word and in his strength which is the last verse. If anyone speaks, and I have to admit that Cricket had it flying in from the left, but when I redid it, I couldn't bring in that animation. So just we're looking at speaking right now. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. The very words of God. Hear Peter's aspect of speaking I looked up several versions. God provides the oracles, as it says in the ESV, the very words of God in NIV. And I like this one. Margie Andrews is the one who introduced me to the New Living Translation. Speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Don't you like that? And then utterances of God. Conveying the words of God. You know, it's hard to convey truth if you don't know it. Um, You need time with him and his word before teaching, especially. I really, um, I need lots of time. And then the next one, which is another very outward gift, is service. ESV calls it ministering. The New King James says God, or ministering in the New King James. uh, God provides the strength for the use of the gifts he has given each of us to love and serve one another. So it's important to acknowledge one's words and works as from God. 
You know, if I get up here, I can tell you this morning, and I'm not sure who I just shared this with, but I was struggling with something. And I prayed about it before I went to sleep. And this morning when I was awakened, I had it. God gives to his beloved even in their sleep. And he gave me something that I'm not exactly sharing with you point by point, but I hope you sense it. It's sort of pulling it all together for me, and I hope that that comes out for you as well. And then in the next one, um, the anchored by his word and his, in his strength, that sort of, it could have been like 5A or 5B or whatever, but I wanted it by itself because I think when we're anchored by his word, in our life, in the everyday, in everything, and those scriptures can come to mind to help us. And then we go forth in his strength so that he will bring it to mind, or give it to you the first thing the next morning, bring it to mind when you need it. In season and out, you can share with others for his purpose and, what do you think the two words, up, or the two blanks would be? Anchored in his, by his word and his strength for his purpose and his glory. His, his work, his word, his strength for his purpose and his glory. Remember from verse 2, this is God's plan that we do his will. And one anothering, and that helps all that. When we minister to one another, that's why we practice one anothering. Because... In our flesh, it wouldn't happen. But in God's spirit, it happens and he gets the glory. His purpose for God to be glorified through Christ Jesus and us. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. As Peter says in the end verse, his will. I want to go back, although this is not another PowerPoint one, but I just want to review with you the six anchors. Anchored in him above all else. Anchored in fervent love for one another. Anchored in a community of faith. Anchored in a faithful service. Anchored by his word and in his strength. Anchored for his purpose and glory. As I conclude, in Scripture, the number seven is seen as completion or finished work. So I added a seventh anchor that is really sort of reiterates all the six with the focus on God himself, as we saw in verse one, and God's will in verse two. That that sounds like how all these anchors, to me, hold together. They represent the fullness of God. And so we come full circle for the seventh anchor, anchored in the fullness of God. And all these other anchors help us get to that. And it even took me from 1 Peter to Ephesians three fourteen through 19. And um, in this book, Embraced by Lisa uh, Turkhurst. I have this book because I have a 
my best friend from high school has been in intensive care for, had been for several weeks. And when I got to Louisville to visit her, I wanted to take something that could encourage her. And she really needed encouragement. And yet I wanted something that was ongoing. And there were two other hometown chums. We were all going to be up there that same time. And so I took a book for Winslow, my good friend, and I took another book for Joyce Ann and Doris, and we became Winslow's Prayer Warriors. And this book has continued to bless us, although the other day she said something about, I wish she'd get off this diet kick. Well, I kind of felt the same way, but, but there's truth in here because she speaks from God's Word. And if any of you have heard her speak, She's funny. She's one funny lady. But she read, or in, let's see what day this was. It was the 5th of October. And so I'm on, you know, I'm preparing this lesson. And so I'm reading it. And she says, one of the most beautiful descriptions of the fullness of God is found in Paul's prayer in Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power from his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, rooted and established, sounds like an anchor to me, uh, will know together and have the power with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. And this is what she said down here. And, of course, it had the word anchors in it, right? Um, And I'll sort of paraphrase, so bear with me. My favorite part of Paul's prayer is him asking that we will have the power to grasp the fullness of the love of Christ, for then we will be filled with the fullness of God. If we grasp the full love of Christ, we won't grab at other things. You know how we all try to find satisfaction elsewhere, or we see friends and loved ones grabbing in all the wrong places. And if we do, we'll feel a prick in our spirit, because the spirit is within. And we're convicted. Am am I willing to tell my flesh no? So I can say yes to the fullness of God. More of thee, less of me. We have the power through Christ. This is true on the days we feel it and on the days we don't feel it. But Jesus' love is there. If we live rooted and established in his love, we don't just have knowledge of his love in our minds, but it becomes a reality that anchors us. Thank you, Lisa Turkers. Though winds of hurt blow, they cannot uproot us and rip us apart. His love holds us. His love grounds us. His love is a glorious weight preventing harsh words and hurtful situations from being a destructive force. We may feel the wind, but we aren't destroyed about it. And that is what it feels like to be anchored in the fullness of God. I hope these words, in my paraphrase, 
will encourage all of you to drop all seven anchors into all your calm seas as well as stormy seas. And believe me, some anchors you will need more than others. And some you might be able to not use as often. Some you use just because you might drift a little. Some Christ is going to be there the whole time. He's the, he's the sure anchor. But in the calm seas as well as stormy seas, which I assume we're going to find out as cricket teaches us about Joshua, but that you will hold tight during those stormy seas, tight to God in all his fullness, and be anchored by faith in him above all else. And as my last slide says, I tried to put my big idea into a nutshell, so if Cricket only sees the last part, she'll think I got my big idea across. Love God supremely above all gods, above all else. Love God supremely. And then that love that you have can overflow to others. Peter's talking mainly to Gentiles here, believers. And I'm talking to you as the body of Christ, the faith, to serve others sacrificially. We, we can serve others in lots of ways, even those who aren't in the household of faith. But as they see us serving others sacrificially, then they know of the hope that is within us, the hope that is anchored deep. And this is the fullness of God. We can go forth able to live fully prepared and fully anchored in the fullness of God and ready to live a spirit-filled life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these truths, and I do thank you, Lord, for the ladies that are here. I pray that if they take nothing else from this lesson, that they will know that you are their anchor in the calm seas when they just might drift or when the stormy seas when they need your anchor deep and wide, just like your love is, Lord. May they always, always love you supremely in a way that others see Christ in them, the hope of glory. And through his love and his spirit, his power in his spirit, that they might serve others sacrificially and help us do this today, Lord, as we go forth, that we might honor your holy name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.